your ministry of music. And there's something beautiful uh, about children reading scripture. Amen? We have uh, Jordan and Scout. Thank you so much again for your participation in the program. It was truly, truly beautiful. I love their line, just keep reading. And I wish I would have heard it beforehand because it would have been actually perfect to title my message that. So this morning we'll, we'll go with the idea of just keep reading. And as I was preparing for the sermon this week, I knew there would be a certain amount of, of expectation to be seasonal as far as the approach to, to present something relevant to this Thanksgiving season. So as any good pastor did, I did a Google search, Thanksgiving Bible verses. And of course, the first one that came up was the one from, from First Thessalonians, which our, our reader response was, was framed after, this idea of always giving thanks. But if you're anything like me, uh, growing up in the church, I'm sure we probably heard a sermon based around that text every single Thanksgiving. So I wanted to take a slightly different angle uh, and look at, at the, the issue of our identity, the issue of our, of our story. Because over the Christmas season, we'll be talking about this idea of, of God with us in past, present, and future. So I figured we'd use this time as a, as a chance to introduce that topic because it is something that we can truly be thankful for. However, I decided that I would fill at least a little bit of my Thanksgiving quota with a couple of funny pictures that I came across on the internet this week. And I always say I'm not going to do this, but they're just too funny not to share. So <laughs> the first one is of a visually impaired farmer looking for a turkey for the Thanksgiving meal. And as you see there, if you can't read it, they're saying boo. So <laughs> the next one is my favorite. Um, I don't know if you can read that or not. The farmer inside this house is saying time for the turkey. And the turkey to the chicken is saying, dude, put this on. It'll be fun, I promise. <laughs> And that brings us to, to our question that we're wrestling with this morning, which is, who are we? And it sounds like a, a cliche question and even a, a trivial question, one that ordinary people like ourselves don't normally wrestle with. It's something that we would like to leave to the theologians or to the philosophers. But at the end of the day, it is a very important question because we have to know who we are before we decide what we will do. And a little seasonal relevance, we have to know who we are before we decide what we truly are thankful for. But this question is directly intertwined with another question, and that is this question of where do we find our identities? We live in, in a pluralistic society and certainly a, a nation that is providing um, multiple suggestions as to where we can find our identity. And because we live in this, in this pluralistic society, we're used to, to wearing multiple different hats. We're used to be different people depending upon whose company we're with, and we're used to, to, to acting a certain way depending upon where we are. We define our identity or we, we reshape our identity constantly depending upon who we're with and the environment that we're in. In our homes, we're defined by our relationship to, to our family units. We are daughters or mothers, sons, fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers, and depending upon who we are at that moment, that directly decides what role we're going to play. If we're dropping off our younger sibling at school, we're taxi cab. If we're, if we're making dinner for our nephew when we haven't been to the grocery store in two weeks, we're chef and potentially artist trying to create something out of nothing. But the truth of the matter is we are constantly defining ourselves in our family units. And yet, when we look at America as a whole, when we look at the economy, we, we define ourselves as, as buyers and sellers of goods kind of pawns in this capitalistic world that are defined by the answer to one simple question, and that is, do you have a new iPhone 6? And my youth are scoffing back there because they're anti-Apple, so what's that, a, a new droid? 
And now, you, now you're silent. Edward and Brian never stop talking, and they're not asking a question, of course. Just kidding. But we, we define ourselves by, by what we have uh, in our technology. And then with this generation, there's, there's even a, a new uh, temptation to define ourselves through social media. And if any of you have Facebooks or Instagrams or Twitters, the list goes on and on, you understand the constant temptation to try to portray yourself as something online. Kind of make this social construct of yourself, present your, your best foot forward or try to look a certain way online to, to impress this social media. A couple years ago, I, uh, I went out to Disney with a girl. I guess it was considered a date, but I'm not proud of it. And we, <laughs> we, were, we were in line waiting. I mean, we, were, we were there for a total of about five or six hours. And I'm not kidding. There was not a period of more than two or three minutes where the girl wasn't glued to her phone. It's like we were together, but not really, because every single second, with every new ride and, and every new Mickey Mouse walking by, she would be taking pictures and, and, and selfies and all these things and, and posting them to her media. And at what point it's like, are, are you even living in the real world anymore when everything you're doing is an attempt to, to gain some sort of satisfaction through social media? Um, but after that, it really made me look introspectively and, and, and we realized that a lot of times, whether we do it as frequently, we're doing the same thing. We're, we're trying to define ourselves through these these shallow, these shallow things. And the question is, is our identity so shallow? And an even greater question is, who are we when the storms of life? Because we can fool ourselves into thinking that we can be defined by our technology, we can be defined by our jobs, we can be defined by, by social media or all these different avenues, but when something hits our foundations, we're left looking for footing and, and finding that we really don't know the answer of this pivotal question, who are we? And because of that, when the storm hits, we're left wondering where we stand. And I'm going to be honest with you, this happened to me in a very real way about four years ago when I, when I left my home in Boston, Massachusetts, and for, for God knows what reason, I decided to go about as far away from home as possible to, to go to La Sierra University. Um, being so far from my mom, my dad, my, my siblings, and my cousins, I could no longer define myself by this traditional family unit, this dynamic that I had established. I couldn't find fulfillment in mowing the lawn once a week or cleaning my bathroom, and I, I couldn't come home and know that after work or school I would have this meal prepared by my loving mother. And coming down to La Sierra, I, I, was, I was broke, I mean, as any college student can relate to. I didn't have a job, I wasn't working. I was in an area where I, I couldn't generate any money, so I couldn't afford the technology that I would love to have defined myself by. Couldn't afford any iPhones or computers. And, and lastly, for any of you who have been uh, in the Riverside area at La Sierra University in, in mid-August, a month before school starts, you know that it is a ghost town. There was nobody on campus. There were no friends that I, could, that I could connect with, no one that I knew, and there was nothing that I could do to impress anybody with, and, and my social media was empty. And therefore, I, was, I, I didn't have a thing to fall back on, at least literally in presence. I didn't have technology, and now I didn't even have a way to make contract of myself that I thought was, was approachable on social media, and I was left wondering, who am I? And yet, the saying, misery loves company, rings true. For, for myself and maybe for many of us here today, we find consolation in the fact that we aren't the only ones that are participating in this phenomena. We look around at our family, at our friends, at our coworkers, and we see them doing the exact same thing. They're updating their Facebook status during lunch. They're, they're talking about wanting to, to get the new technology. They're doing the exact same things that we are, and therefore we kind of push it aside as, as perhaps not a, as big of a problem because we have participation with our peers. 
And regardless of, of what your grandmother or grandfather tells you, this is something that has been going on for generations. This seeking after an identity in shallow places has been something that we as a human race have continued to pursue for as long as we've been in existence. And one of the reasons that, that we as a church body read and cherish the Psalms is that they, they are so relevant and they relate so well to our human experience. There's, there's a depth and a beauty in a Psalms because they, the authors speak of not only the high points, but also the low points that we go through on a daily basis. And this Psalm is no exception. It's one of, one of my favorites as I was reading and hearing this week. The author, who is, who is called Asaph, he's a musician or an artist or a poet of, of his generation, he describes these eight verses by using the Hebrew word mashel. And a little background on this word, it's actually best translated as a parable. And what's interesting about Psalm 78 is that the author uses this word to describe his art, but it, he's actually talking about the importance of parables. So he uses this word, it's a parable that describes the importance of parables. It's a self-evident psalm that talks about where we find our identities. But yet right in the middle of, of this beautiful chapter in Psalms, there's this, there's this very sinister issue. And it's the, the, the verse that we ended on in our scripture reading this morning. And I'm, I'm sure it left some of us shaking our heads. Why, why, can this, why is this potentially good news? And, and it says, They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful. What's interesting to note about this generation that the psalmist is referring to is that they were facing the exact same dilemma. They didn't have an identity that was constant to fall back on. And, and one thing we notice when we don't have an identity, that's when we go seeking for, for purpose in the wrong places. And the Bible refers to that seeking of, of purpose in the wrong places as sin. When we don't have an identity that is grounded in something deeper than the, the trivial variables of life, we are sinful. As Micah 6, 8 puts it, these people refuse to seek justice, they refuse to love mercy, and they refuse to walk humbly with God. This idea of, of, of the law in the Old Testament was a covenant that was made with God and with our neighbor. And by breaking this law and becoming selfish, by having hearts that were not loyal and spirits that were not faithful to God, these people in the psalm broke both their covenant with God and their covenant with one another. And like we often do, they reduced the words of Jesus from love your neighbor as yourself to simply love yourself. The author uses another Hebrew word to describe this phenomena. And he, he describes this, this seeking for identity of something more steadfast as a chidoff. And, and older manuscripts kind of translate this as, as mystery or, or saying, um, but a lot of further research by, by different students of the Bible have suggested that this would best be translated as riddle. And one of the interesting things to note about a riddle is that when we try as listeners to solve riddles, we tend to look for the answer in all the wrong places. We tend to, to, to think that the obvious answer is far too easy, so we overcomplicate it. And the psalmist is suggesting that we do the same thing when we search for our identity. We see the people around us and we want to, to, to make ourselves feel good or to impress our peers, so we look for our identity through technology or our workplace or our social media or our relationships. And the psalmist is saying, rather than looking to all these things, why don't you look at something far more self-evident? Rather than overcomplicating the issue, look 
someplace closer to home. And here's what the psalmist suggests, or where the psalmist suggests that we look for our identity. We will tell the next generation of the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. So that's the action. Now look at the result. And in turn, they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commandments. Have we been looking for our identity in the wrong places? Perhaps instead of finding ourselves in the world of technology or the economy or social media, perhaps our identity is found in something far more solid. One Christian author suggests, stories can join in consciousness to tell us who we are and where we are in the world. Stories give identity. What if our identity is to be found in our story, in the participation in the story of God with us? As Christians, we affirm this participation in the greatest story ever told. Our story is intertwined with his story. The story of Emmanuel, of God with us. The psalmist suggests that we are to find our identity not in the trivial things of this world, but in something far more steadfast, in a God who is past, present, future, who has his arms outstretched on a cross saying, I want to be your identity. I want to be the lasting bridge between you and God when, when this life suggests that it's not possible. When the storms of life hit and when you go through things that make me seem far, I want to be something that gives you purpose and identity. When you're far away from your physical families, when you don't have any money, when you aren't able to afford the things that you would like to have to define you, I am saying that I am near and that I am with you and that I can be a greater identity for you. And this story is not just for you and I. It's not just for our families. It's not just for our denomination. The beautiful thing about this story is that it is for the world. John 3.16 talks about a God that so loved the world. And the, one of the most beautiful things about this idea of, of participating in God's stories is that we are not only listeners, but we are active agents of storytelling for our world. Jesus was, was very, very active in this idea of parables. And as we had mentioned, the Asaph, the writer of this psalm, is, is advocating for the importance of parables. And what exactly is a parable? A parable is, is defined as a way to tell or portray a steadfast truth in modern language, in the modern tongue. And Jesus was constantly doing this. Pastor Dave always talks about this idea of, of hijacking these things of common experience for the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Think about some of the things that he referred to in his parables. Lost sheep, tax collectors, mustard seeds. These were things that were extremely relevant to the people that he was communicating with. And I believe that we are called by the everlasting author of our gospel that we believe in to do the same things in our communities today. We are to look for things that are relevant to our generation and in turn hijack them for the kingdom of God so that Christ can speak through them. The question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, is how can we continue to tell and retell the story of God with us? Revelation 14 says, Proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue. The gospel is a message for every generation. It's a message for every race, for every language, and for every culture. 
Rather than letting our technology or our economy or our relationships define us, what if we allowed Christ to define them? What if instead of letting these things define us, we allowed Christ to define them? We live in a world that is crazed on multiple different levels. But the question is, were we intended to to separate the things that we find meaning in in this world and, and the God with us story? And I believe that the psalmist would suggest no, and that Jesus would suggest the same thing. We are to use these things, our, our technologies, our, our money, our resources, our jobs. We are to, to use these things and to see them as avenues for God to speak through. He has given all of us, all of us, a, a place in this world that we are able and, and willing to speak about Him. To use the things that we have, the blessings, the resources, instead of using them as distractions that separate us from God, we are to use them as things that proclaim Him to the world. Don't let these things overshadow our identities, for we are Christ. And at the end of the day, Christ is willing to use these things to spread the good news that is our gospel. The mystery and riddle of our faith is that God is past, present, and future, abiding with us in an unfolding story. And I want to leave you with with three things that I believe that story, that this idea of participating in in God with us, three things that it can can do for us in a practical way. Story links us to our past, providing continuity. Story connects us to each other, creating community. And story attaches us to our God, enabling Emmanuel. In Isaiah 12, the author says, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, Make known to the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. On this Thanksgiving week, we can be thankful for our stories. We can be thankful that we have a God that stretched forth his arm in communion with us, that gave us his son so that we could know him better, and that we could participate in the eternal and the eternal meaning and identity that he gives to us as children of God. Next time you look for your identity, look behind you and look beside you. It's been with you all along, and he, our creator, our savior, our redeemer, has been with you all along. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much this morning for for giving us a story, Lord, for giving us an identity that far exceeds anything that we can attach ourselves to in this world, God. We ask that when the storms of life hit, God, that we would remember who we are, that we would identify ourselves as children of the Most High God, Lord, and that this identity would motivate us to serve you and to continue to tell this story of good news to everyone that we come into contact with. For it's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name, that we pray. Amen.